I've got all this stuff taking up space, but I don't want to be bothered with the hassle of having a garage sale. Well, why don't you call Reliable Resellers? Reliable Resellers? Yeah, Reliable Resellers. They buy all sorts of items, from toys to jewelry to collectibles, and best of all, they come to you and pay in cash. Oh wow, how do I get in touch with them? Easy, just call 813-421-5676 or go to their website, reliableresellers.net. I'm calling Reliable Resellers right now title of the article was I was a lady hard hack of course this was back in the late 60s early 70s when women were not in those those job roles so I went back uh, to Tennessee that summer and I told a friend of mine I said yeah about this article I read I said this sounds like fun sounds like a lot of money so I talked her into going with me and we went in search of a construction job so we uh, we went down to the employment office in uh, much to the chagrin of the young lady that was trying to place us in employment, we insisted that we wanted to get into the construction business. And uh, she kept trying to talk us into office jobs and different things of that sort. And we said, no, no, we want to do this. So we could go on the job site and everybody would kind of stand around and gawk at us. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they, occasionally they'd come up and say, well, we understand that the uh, employment office made you guys take this job. And we said, oh no, no, it wasn't like that. We actually had to persuade them to, to let us uh, apply for the job. Yeah. I was with Dade City PD for two years and then I went on to the sheriff's office for another four. On that particular evening, I was just driving through, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and I noticed a couple of lights up ahead. Uh, in an area where there should not have been any lights and um, I thought well I should investigate and at that point I thought okay I've driven into a, a drug plane a plane landing for a drug deal mm -hmm. so I immediately threw my cruiser into reverse and and retreated to uh, to a safer distance uh, my shotgun was my weapon of choice in those days so I grabbed it out of the rack and racked one into the chamber and as I as I came in contact with other female officers through the years that were coming up uh, I would always share with them what what had worked for me uh, and it was that ability to talk and reason with people if you if you find yourself in a situation you just have to figure out how to acquire the knowledge that you don't have when you took the leap yeah. my motivation was to do what Margaret wanted to do yeah. and, and not be limited by what society said Margaret could do or what she couldn't do. You've got to decide what you want to do, and then you've got to make up your mind that you're going to do it. That failure is, is really not an option. You can decide that you're going to succeed, or you can just wither it away and, and, and give up. You don't fail, you just give up. So I'm not going to, to throw in the towel if I can see a way to succeed. And I think that's what people need to learn because I see too many people quit too early. But you've gotta be willing to stay with it and analyze constantly. Why isn't it working? What can I do? What do I need to do? What do I not know? Uh, you can't just put your open sign in the door and wait. I love Dade City. I, I am a strong, strong proponent of Dade City. And I believe that Dade City now possesses uh, attributes that could make it a very thriving uh, tourist destination because we still have that old charm. Welcome to the Art of Business. I'm your host, Eric Baker. 
I sit down with entrepreneurs right here in Dade City and the surrounding areas to find out about their backgrounds, how they built their businesses, and what their secrets for success are. Today's episode is sponsored by Lanky Lassie Shortbread. Order online, ships nationwide, llshortbread.com. Today, I'm joined with Miss Margaret Angel. She is the owner of Angel Tea Room and Heavenly Treasures Gift Shop. They are located at 37847 Meridian Avenue in Dade City, Florida. You can also find them online at angeltearoom.com. Margaret is an entrepreneur, a college graduate, a business owner, a writer, a former law enforcement officer, a private investigator, the president of the Dade City Merchants Association. She has her restaurant in downtown Dade City. And to quote Madonna Jervis Wise from her book, Trailblazing Women of Tampa Bay, Margaret is a trailblazer who provides a modern day inspiration for girls seeking non-traditional careers. Margaret is an incredibly impressive person. She is the literal definition of the word entrepreneur and is the living embodiment of the phrase role model. She's lived and is living an extremely interesting life, and I'm thrilled to have the chance to tell her story. And she's got quite the story to tell, and we do talk about all of it. But before we just jump into it, Margaret and I talk about cats. I adore cats. Uh, they're very fascinating creatures. Yeah. Uh, greatly underestimated by people who have not had cats, but greatly appreciated by those who have. Yes, ma'am. Uh, now, do you have two or three? I have three boys, three males, that live in the house with me, and then I have three girls that live in an apartment of their own out back. Okay. And so I see Nicholas Whitey and Junior. I see. I found those. Jr. 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 Okay. Yeah. And so Jr. just showed up at your door at Christmas J- time. Jr. just appeared on the doorstep. Uh, I ran home uh, on an errand from the tea room, and lo and behold, there was little tiny Jr. Yeah. Wandering around, and of course, I tried to check with the neighbors to see if anybody had lost him and with no no luck nobody claimed him and uh, so I took him in and gave him a home and he's now one of the boys fantastic fantastic and what's uh, so what about your other cats had were they adopted did they just show up well, to you well you know Nicholas is the oldest um, when I was uh, active with my private investigation agency we had an office downtown and uh, I had a colleague that worked with me and she also loved cats uh, there was a, a cat that roamed around in the uh, complex that would go from door to door looking, you know, as cats will, looking for a handout. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, uh, my, my colleague gave uh, that cat a name. Her name was uh, Agatha, obviously connected to the PI business, the investigative business. Uh, so Agatha had babies, and uh, Nicholas was her, her son. Mm. So I took him home to... To, to live there yeah uh we joked about having putting a sign in the window right after agatha had her babies uh that uh, we had babies to adopt to to a good home but they had to pass a background investigation ah. uh we laughed about that but we we found homes <laughs> without going to those extremes yeah uh but anyway that's the way nicholas came to be and uh, my other cat whitey was uh part of a litter that was uh, off, the offspring of my neighbor mm. uh, who had her kittens over at, at, on my property. And of course the neighbor wasn't uh, interested in dealing with the kittens, so I ended up with them. Yeah. And uh, Whitey and his older brother, who is now deceased, would stay with the babies. Uh, one of them would go 
out uh, roam around or, or whatever, but there was always one of the older boys that would stay with the babies after the mother was killed. Okay. She got killed by a card. So anyway, uh, Whitey was uh, part of the cat house uh, population until he became ill, and then I brought him inside, nursed him back to health, and of course he refuses to go give up the air conditioning now and go back to <laughs> his former residence. Yeah. But that's how those three boys came to be. I love it. Um, I love it myself. I have a little girl. She's hiding around here somewhere. She's a scaredy cat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I saw the bed. I figured yeah, there was, uh, she's here somewhere. Um, okay. So uh, Margaret, let's, let's start at the beginning here. And I want to take the time to get to know you on a personal level a little bit. So we'll set that foundation. Okay. So I understand that you're from Dade city. You're, you're a, you're a true Native. Well, I was eight years old when when I came to Dade City, when okay. we moved to Dade City. So gotcha. I, I grew up here, but I wasn't born here. Yes, ma'am. And so you went to Pasco High School? I did. Okay. What what were you into back in high school? Well, uh, I was in a uh, college prep program in uh, just uh, your average, uh, everyday student activities. I was kind of shy. I actually was a very shy person until I got into law enforcement. Okay. And of course that changed everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, nothing, uh, you know, nothing really outstanding as far as... Uh, Any clubs you were at sports you played? I, I, I'm not a sports person. Okay. Uh, I'm the, the bookworm yeah, type. Yeah, sure. Um, Member of the book club or something? Or? Uh, I don't recall anything about the book club. Okay, um, okay. Just uh, you know, pretty pretty yeah. shy, pretty pretty quiet, pretty yes, reserved. I I usually was the number two person academically speaking. Okay. Uh, I I would shine away from, or shy away from the 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 limelight. Uh, so. I mean, I have a few things that uh, mischievous things that I got into, but I probably should not uh, not reveal those at this particular point in time. Okay, I, won't, I won't pry then. Okay, so do you come from a large family, small, many no, brothers and sisters? No, I have uh, a sister and a half brother. Okay. And, uh, are they local here? Uh, yes, they are. Okay, perfect. And, and so after high school, you went on to study at East Tennessee State University. That is correct. Okay, yes. so what did you study at ETSU? Well, I was in a pre-law program, and uh, my my goal at that point in time was to, to become an, a lawyer. Uh, so uh, my studies were geared around around that. Okay, and, uh, okay. Gotcha. And and so did you work during college? I think you had mentioned to me something about a hard hat or construction okay, yeah. or something. Okay. Uh, uh, that was not during college. Okay. Uh, I did work. Uh, I did not have the financial resources to just go and, and enjoy college. Uh, so I took a year off between my junior and senior year. I came back to Dade City. I had had summer jobs with the local law firm. So I, I came back. Uh, they gave me a job and uh, I spent a year. Uh, working. I worked with uh, Mr. Gibbs. Uh, he was the assistant public defender back in those days and uh, learned tremendous amount of information from him. I owe him a great debt of gratitude. Uh, taught me many, many things about the law. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, when that year was over, I went back and finished up my degree. And during my last year in college, they had started the law enforcement program. So I was on electives at that point. So I took mostly classes in, that were related to that. So that kind of got me set on the direction that I ended up going in, into mm. law enforcement. Okay, gotcha. But, um, okay, and so um, what was that hard hat? Okay, the hard that? hat uh, came later. Okay. Uh, I'm an avid reader, 
and I get inspired by what I read. Yeah. And I was on a, a little plane jaunt in uh, Killing Time and was reading a magazine article. And the title of the article was, I was a lady hard hat. Of course, this was back in the late 60s, early 70s, when women were not in those, those job roles. Uh, so I read this article about a woman in Washington, D.C., who had, uh, had become a hard hat, a construction job, and uh, she talked about uh, the money she made and so forth. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds exciting. Uh, so uh, I spent a, about three years uh, between college and my law enforcement career actually working as a scale operator for Evans packing at the time mm. and we would have the summers off so I would always go back to Tennessee to to hang out with family and college friends uh, in so I went back uh, to Tennessee that summer and I told a friend of mine I said yeah about this article I read I said this sounds like fun sounds like a lot of money so uh, I talked her into going with me and we went in search of a uh, construction job yeah so we uh, we went down to the employment office and uh, much to the chagrin of the young lady that was trying to place us in employment, we insisted that we wanted to get into the construction business. And uh, she kept trying to talk us into office jobs and different things of that sort. And we said, no, no, we want to do this. So actually, we were actually able to get a job. And I worked with a construction company. Uh, we did commercial concrete jobs. And I think I was probably there for about three or four months. Yeah. And then it was time to come back to Dade City and go back to, to my real job. Yeah. But uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and you were one of the only women that were doing we it. We were the only two women that were out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Trailblazing. We could get on a job site. And those were big commercial job sites. I mean, we were, we were pouring concrete for factories and things like that. Yeah. So we could go on the job site and everybody would kind of stand around and gawk at us and uh, <laughs> yeah, they, occasionally they'd come up and say well we understand that the uh, employment office made you guys take this job and we said oh no no it wasn't like that we actually had to persuade them to, to let us uh, apply for the job yeah but, um, yeah so you wanted the chat you didn't want the office job you wanted to do the other thing I wanted to I the article was so inspiring I yeah. wanted to do it yeah and, and we did yeah and um it was fun okay I love it I love that okay and then so um so you worked in law enforcement and for the sheriff's office. Now, you kind of touched on that a little bit with Mr. Gibbs and how you kind of got involved. Mm -hmm. And I also read something about Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. So can you kind of talk about how you initially got involved in your interest in law enforcement? Well, it, it was a process, and it began when I was very young, reading the Hardy Boy and Nancy Drew books. And, and again, as I said earlier, I am very influenced by what I read. And uh, I would read about their adventures, and uh, I would go out and try to have adventures of my own. And this was when I was in my early teens, 14, 15. So the, the seed was there uh, as far as uh, solving mysteries and crime and that sort of thing. So it just kind of progressed from that, that point. Okay, okay. And how long were you a police officer for? I was with Dade City PD for two years, and then I went on to the sheriff's office for another four. Okay, wow. So, so okay. I had a total of six years in law enforcement. And when I first started talking to you and I came over to your restaurant, we chatted for a little bit, you told me a story about a 500-pound marijuana bust. <laughs> really interesting story. I was hoping you could maybe share that with us again. Well, I think you're referring to one of, one of the situations that I just happened to find myself in just by happenstance. Uh, I was uh, patrolling 
down in the Zephyr Hills area one one evening, and uh, late in well, it was actually an early October night, cool, crisp night, which I later learned was ideal for small aircraft to to, to get maximum lift to get back up off the ground, which was which would prove significant in this particular case. But um, I was uh, just minding my own business, riding around, checking, looking for any suspicious activity. And uh, it was the area off of Highway 54, where Fox Ridge subdivision is now. And uh, they had laid the, uh, the asphalt, uh, put in some of the structure, the infrastructure for the subdivision, but had not really gotten too far with it. And there was a long strip uh, of, of pavement that uh, had no electrical lines or any houses or anything at all there. So it was a perfect location for a, for a clandestine plane landing. Uh, but anyway, on that particular evening, I was just driving through. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and I noticed a couple of lights up ahead uh, in an area where there should not have been any lights. And um, I thought, well, I should investigate. And I had a series of thoughts that went through my mind at the time. First was that there had been equipment, you know, heavy equipment out there and that someone had been tampering with it, left the lights on. As I got closer, the lights began to move farther apart. Then I began to think that it was a, a, a couple of motorcycles uh, that were there, maybe going to drag race on that long strip or whatever. So I continued on, uh, again, mentally processing different scenarios until I got to a certain point and I realized that it was uh, the portable lamps that were used for setting up a, a clandestine runway. And at that point, I thought, okay, I've driven into a, a drug, <laughs> a plane landing for a drug deal. Mm -hmm. So I immediately threw my cruiser into reverse and, and retreated to, uh, to a safer distance. Uh, my shotgun was my weapon of choice in those days. So I grabbed it out of the rack and racked one into the chamber. Uh, and uh, of course I had, by this time I had radioed uh, that uh, I had uh, stumbled upon something and I had help coming, but they were a good distance away. I mean, Pasco was pretty rural back in those days. Uh, so I waited until the, the lieutenant arrived and then we went uh, into the scene we found that there was a couple of vehicles behind those lights, uh, aircraft radio, portable radio, things of that sort, so we knew that uh, what was about to happen. Uh, as it turned out, I uh, was uh, sent uh, out of the area with the Mark Cruiser and uh, the plainclothes uh, lieutenants came in to, to, to wait. They thought perhaps it was just being set up, that it hadn't actually happened yet. Uh, I had a zone partner who uh, worked very well with me on things of, of that sort. So uh, we, we were very close to the little airport that's there in North Tampa. So he went over to the airport uh, to check to see if there was any activity occurring over there. And lo and behold, there was. There was a plane that had just landed, a little mm -hmm. twin engine. And um, he uh, talked, made contact, talked with the, uh, the pilot and the... Uh, fellow that uh, was coming to pick him up and it turned out that um, we had a new dispatcher on that night at the sheriff's office who was not well versed in running tail numbers for aircraft through NCIC so there was a delay 
And during that delay, uh, my zone partner allowed the pilot to leave because he had no reason to detain him at that point. Uh, and it turns out there was a connection between the plane registration and one of the vehicles that was at the clandestine mm -hmm. site. So at that point, we knew that the plane had already made its rounds. Uh, so upon further inspection, we discovered that there were some drag marks across the wing, which led us to believe that they had unloaded. And, and as it turned out, they did. Uh, we began to search both sides of the, uh, of the North Tampa airport. We were at the airport at this point uh, and found the duffel bags of the marijuana stashed over a ways off the uh, runway. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, the plan was to stake out the, the stash and, and see if we could nab the folks that came back to pick it up. Mm -hmm. So uh, Greg, my, my zone partner, and I were elected to do that. And, of course, the lieutenants went down to the hotel where they could drink hot coffee and, <laughs> and, yeah. and leave us out there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to make the long story short, it was a, a, a while, but we, we had made a plan, and a, a good plan, I think. And... Um, so we waited, and then uh, after a while, we saw someone coming along up through the uh, along the runway through the lights, and uh, he checked out the area. And we moved in when he grabbed a couple of duffel bags, and uh, when he came back, we we moved in to make the arrest. Yeah, uh, thinking that he would halt. He. Uh, which was a mistake. He did not halt. <laughs> uh, so the only time I ever discharged a firearm during my career was that night. Uh, I wasn't shooting to hit him. I was just trying to make him hit the ground and, and stop. Scared him. Didn't happen. He, he ran that much faster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But we eventually did capture him. Mm. And, uh, with the, and, of course, we had a lot of extra law enforcement personnel uh, because it was shift change time, which was perfect for us, but not so good for them because we mm -hmm. had a lot of manpower out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, so we got the marijuana. We got the guy that had uh, come to pick it up. Uh, there were a couple of guys that had been at the clandestine site that got away, mm. and the driver, the pickup driver, got away that was ferrying him back and forth. Uh, the case eventually was dismissed because the, the evidence... Uh, somehow got tampered with after it was in the custody of the property custodian mm. but it was a it was a great adventure for greg and i and yeah uh, and everybody concerned sure but uh, and the, the airplane you said that you guys were the, able to confiscate yeah anything? the uh, the sheriff uh, confiscated the aircraft and um and used it in his uh with his resources for a number of years yeah uh, after that yeah we got the plane Okay. Got the plane. We got the drugs, but yeah. uh, we didn't get the guys. Didn't get the guys. Yeah. Okay. Or we got the guys, but they they the the court turned them loose. You know? Yeah. Okay. And so you're also a private investigator. You run your own firm, in fact, Angel Investigative Services. Uh, you're the agency director. I believe you started that back in 1982, so it's going strong for over 40 years. It's extremely impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you get started in the in in the private investigation area? Well, of course, going back to my love for mysteries and solving them and that sort of thing, uh, it became apparent in law enforcement that uh, there was an element of politics involved. We got bounced around from one one department to another, and I really just wanted to solve crimes and, and stay with something. So I began to get a little bit. Uh, disgruntled 
Uh, I mean, I love being in law enforcement. I love the thrill of being out there, at, you know, on patrol and interacting with people and, 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 and that sort of thing. But I, there came a time that I really wanted to, to stay with a case long enough to see it solved. And I began to realize that the only way that was going to happen, uh, that I would have the freedom to go across jurisdictional boundaries, to go wherever I wanted to go to pursue a lead, that I was going to have to go into a private practice. Okay, uh, and of course, it never occurred to me to go to work for somebody else. <laughs> Just the, the only idea I had was to start my own agency. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I had a fellow that was a volunteer with the sheriff's office that would come out and 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 ride as we would have what we call auxiliarymen or volunteers, it was civilian volunteers that would 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 ride. And he had had an interest as well. And he had actually signed up for a uh, correspondence course a number of years prior to, to our meeting. So we got out of his old books and we went through it. And for, for a, a year, I planned my private investigation agency. And when the time came, I turned in my resignation and, mm-hmm. I, and jumped into it, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people who thought I was foolish. Mm. Uh, they thought I was leaving a... A job with benefits, security, and all of that, and right. um, I, it was what I wanted to do, and you went for it. I went for it. Yeah. Now, were were, were there a lot of female women police officers, at the, private investigators, yeah. back in those times? Well, I think there probably were a lot more female private investigators in that period of time. Okay. Uh, when I went to Dade City PD, uh, I was actually the second female officer that had been hired. Oh, I was wow. the first one that actually stuck with it. Okay. The other one, I think, uh, resigned after a couple of months. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, and then I came along, and so I was actually the first to to stay with it. Yeah. And then when I went over to the sheriff's office, I think there were seven of us that came in at, around that same time. Sure. Because there was a fe- Zephyr Hills had hired their first female officer. I. Uh, Karen Collins. Karen went over with me at the same time to the sheriff. And then there were a couple of ladies that were already employed by the sheriff's office in communications and <clears throat> various other departments mm-hmm. who had p- completed the police academy mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and were now ready to be certified law enforcement officers. Okay. So I think at that point, I think the sheriff ended up with hiring about seven of us coming in at the same time from various different directions. Yeah. And, and so what was that like entering a male-dominated field at that time? I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of machismo that you had to dice through and things, well, right? Or? Well, you did. You certainly did. And you had it from the fellow officers, and you had it from the public. Mm. Uh, with, the, with your officers, uh, once they worked with you and realized that uh, you brought to the table something that wasn't already there, such as that gentle touch. <laughs> uh, of course, law enforcement was very different back then. Uh, probably much more effective than it is today, in, in my opinion. But um, each time you went to a new squad, uh, you would have to prove yourself, basically. Sure. Uh, and, of course, there were you know, the, the silly concerns. Uh, we'll have to watch what we say. Uh, we can't use our language the way we do when we're around guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is she going to handle a situation? How mm-hmm. is she, you know, are we going to have to 
take care of her while we're trying to deal our, with our job, that sure. sort of thing. Sure. So once they once they worked with you, and and realized that uh, that you could do things, you could get the job done. You just didn't necessarily do it with brawn. Uh, you did it a different way. Yes, ma'am. And as I as I came in contact with other female officers through the years that were coming up, uh, I would always share with them what what had worked for me. Uh, and it was that ability to talk and reason with people. Okay. You know, you can always fight. You can always do that if words fail you. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always like to approach a situation from listening talking and reasoning and it worked the yes, majority ma'am. of the time and and as as i worked with the guys they began to recognize that and they were there in case we had to fight <laughs> and uh but they were would also stand down and let you try to to reason a situation uh to a conclusion without it getting violent as well yeah awesome uh and then of course you'd run into the public uh who would um you know, I think the first day I was out in uniform, I had a gentleman say, accuse me of taking a job away from a man because I was there. Um, I would have uh, guys that would come up and talk to the volunteer guy instead of to me mm. uh, and ask him how he liked working with the female. Mm-hmm. And I would always say, you know, he'd say, well, why don't you ask her? And I said, yeah, why don't you ask me how I like working with a volunteer? Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> uh, but sure. that sort of thing. And and then, of course, uh, there'd be a few things, which I won't go into, that you would have conversations with them about. But um, Yes, ma'am. And you say, you know, women talk about things, too, that, that you would not be comfortable <laughs> with. Uh, <laughs> so we just have to figure out how to respect each other here and, yes, and, and so forth. But all in all, I think it, it, it worked because we, we showed the guys that women could bring to the table something that had been missing. Yeah. And uh, anytime there was a child involved or a, a, a rape victim or someone of that nature of a situation, they always call for one of us to come. Yes, ma'am. And, and we, could, we could gently move them through the emotional aspects of, of what had happened. Sure. Yeah. 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 An absolute trailblazer. I, mm-hmm. I love this. So in your, in your PI firm, what type of cases w- would you work on? Well, we did a, we had probably about 18 or 20 different types of investigations that we, we listed on our letterhead as, as doing, uh, we would, uh, of course you always get your, your domestics, your cheating spouses which involves investigation and surveillance. Uh, we did a lot of workers' comp fraud investigations. Okay. Um, I would do asset locations for, and those would come into play in a variety of different ways. I did a lot of court-appointed criminal cases. Uh, and we would do automobile accident investigation, go out, talk to witnesses, take photographs, uh, that sort of thing, take statements. Okay. Missing persons. Yeah. Uh, we had just about one of, a, at least one of just about everything during the time, but a lot of it was in the criminal field, okay. the civil field, or in the domestic area. Gotcha. And those were a lot more fun for you than, from what I understand, than the, the general law enforcement, sheriff's office? Stuff. Yes, because, you know, you could, you had the freedom, the freedom to solve the case. You didn't have to write a report, turn it in, and forget it, <laughs> and yeah. move on, yes, which is what uh, the way the law enforcement is structured. Yeah, uh, I mean, there were some times that you would follow up on a 
something if it was immediately following the the incident and um uh, you know i had a few of those i mean i was very lucky very very lucky uh, a, a good example of that is we get called for an automobile theft case or something. And it, I caught on to this early on. Uh, the fellow would be out drinking. He would end up leaving his car or getting too, too intoxicated to drive. Somebody would offer to drive him home. And then they would drop him off and they'd take the, his car, which not with the intent of stealing it, but just mm-hmm. for convenience, mm-hmm. onto their house with the idea, I guess, that they would hook up the next day and, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, on a, around the second time I encountered that, I said, okay, same scenario here, I'm hearing this. So I would always say, where were you drinking? I would go there, I would run the tag numbers of any vehicles that looked like they'd been left overnight. I'd go to that address and lo and behold, there was this car. Yeah. Uh, so little things like that um, were, the kind of investigative things. Yeah. I wanted to use my brain, really. Yes, <laughs> you know? I mean, sure. you wanted to use your your intelligence of solving these things instead yeah. of just uh, dealing with you know bar fights or traffic stops or, yes, or whatever. That was that was that. Yeah. What was some of the anything really notable? Um, any big stories that stand out to you from that one story? Holy cow, that one! Or just mm. do you have any big stories from? Well, I. During the six years I was in law enforcement, there were a lot of things. I mean, I spent the Memorial Day weekend once up in, in uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the little town. Uh, we were waiting for a, uh, a ship to come in with a drug shipment, uh, and it involved a multi-agency task force. And uh, after my, um, my Fox Ridge International story, as I like to refer to it, uh, the sheriff put me in the special enforcement unit for a period of time. And it was in that capacity that I was sent uh, as a representative, one of the two representatives for PASCO, up to uh, Arapica was the name of the place. So we were up there with, uh, with a group of officers from all over the state. We had uh, Tampa PD had been running a wiretap uh, had intercepted uh, some communication about a ship that was bringing in some marijuana. And, uh, of course, Fish and Game was there. Uh, Hernando County was there because Arapica was technically in their jurisdiction. Mm. They tried to cover all the jurisdictions because we had no idea exactly at what point the, the offload site would be. Uh, so uh, I was involved in that. It, we were there over that Memorial Day weekend. The ship finally did come in. Uh, and offloaded, uh, I don't know, 2,000 pounds of marijuana, I believe it turned out to be. Wow. Uh, that was a pretty big case. It was, yeah. it was fun. Sure. Uh, the funny, there was a funny thing about that. Uh, we, we had, and they were hauling the, uh, offloading the marijuana and hauling it away in rock trucks. Uh, okay. So I was with, uh, teamed up with a guy that spoke, uh, he was from uh, Hillsborough, I mean, uh, Hernando, spoke Spanish because everything was going on in Spanish. And unfortunately, I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. But anyway, our job was to take a CB radio and jam the signal after we took the first truck down because we knew that the truck driver would alert yeah. uh, the subsequent drivers. And uh, so our job was to jam the signal. Uh, it didn't go at all as, as planned. Uh, it began to un- unravel. The plan did, but I mean, the 
exercise went down very successfully. It just didn't go the way we planned it. Uh, but uh, what would they were the bad guys are trying to come across the bridge at Arapica, and the first officers would stop them, arrest them, but didn't want to have to stop the action. They didn't want to miss anything by dealing with the prisoners. So the first person would turn, here, take this prisoner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they'd turn it over to, and then they'd run on toward where yeah. the, the action was going on. Yeah. So we're going through all of this. I mean, there must have been um, about four or five until we finally got to the poor jailer who was there just uh, because he wanted to be in on the action, and uh, he ended up with the prisoners, and the rest of us kept, you know, rushing to, to, to the offload site. Right. And uh, I think there were probably, if my memory serves me correctly, about 15 guys that were there, bad guys that okay. were to, there to deal with the, the marijuana. Yeah. There was a money guy from uh, Miami uh, and his little Mac-10 machine gun. Okay. Nobody shot at anybody, but... <laughs> well, I was going to ask, have you ever been shot at in no. any of these things? No. I, oh, no. Okay, because those are huge busts. I yeah, mean, they are huge. disrupting but, massive but, amounts of money. You would but, think that you'd be... But no, okay. Yeah, not, not in those days. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so the bad guys all jumped in the water when they realized that uh, the good guys were surrounding them. Yeah. Of course, we were all in plain clothes, so we, uh, we had little armbands so that we didn't shoot each other. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so then, of course, the uh, uh, fish and, and, and wildlife guy came in with the airboat and the head started popping up out of the water and yeah. surrendering. Yeah. Uh, so we rounded up uh, the whole gang, them. got the whole gang. Wow. The only thing that they didn't do is they didn't get the ship. Uh, there was a, a Coast Guard screw up uh, that let the ship get away. Oh, but man. we got the we got the marijuana. We got the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. had a, a, a thrilling weekend. Now, were they when they went to court today? I, I don't know. Oh, you didn't yeah, know that yeah, one. Yeah, it, okay. it went on to to a different jurisdiction. Gotcha. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't recall following it at all. If I did, you know, I don't even know who they were. They yes, were just ma'am. all. Gotcha. Okay. Hispanic. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I'm inclined okay. to ask you if you have any other stories you want to tell from back in the. I mean, is there anything else that that stands out that you want to share from back well, in those days? I mean. I mean, there were many, many okay. cases that came, yeah. came up. Um, it was just, you know, a st- you never knew what you were gonna, what your day was gonna be like. Yes, ma'am. Uh, and in, in Pasco County back in those days was was very rural. It was very ripe for drug smuggling. Okay. Very, very ripe. We had these small airports. We had this coastline. We had wide open fields. Uh, I wasn't involved in in this particular case, but we had a DC-10, or DC-8, I'm sorry, that sat down in a pasture off of uh, Highway 52. I got mired in the mud, couldn't get back up, but uh, there was just drug smuggling going on all around. Okay. But uh, it made for, you know, it made for excitement. Yes, ma'am. But. uh, Okay. I I love it. Now, (laughs) and I understand that you're also quite the writer as well. Well, I've got one more career planned. Uh, Do you really? And that will be to try my hand at writing. Fiction, nonfiction? Uh, f- uh, fiction, probably. Okay. Uh, most people think I'll write about my experiences, but I will not. That will not be mm. my subject matter. Do you want to reveal it, or is well, it kind of a secret? No, or? it's not, it's just it's more of a philosophical 
type writing. Okay. okay. You know, just, about, just about life? Life, uh, observing various different things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I believe that uh, the children's fairy tale, uh, the Cinderella story, could be applied to real life. It's not just a children's story. Uh, you know, the, the, it's going with the, the, the glass slipper, as the prince did, looking for the foot that it fit, is, is like finding your, your niche in life, uh, finding what really fits for you. And it's that kind of thinking that, uh, that I plan to write about. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, okay. And you're also the president of the Dade City Merchants Association. How long have you been with the mer- just in total? How long have okay. you been with the Merchants Association, even before you were president? Well, I as, as once I bought the tea room, I uh, became involved with uh, the Main Street program. Okay, and the Merchants Association was a sub category of that. Uh, so uh, that was how that started. And okay. So uh, I was a part of the Main Street program, gotcha. and, and they had absorbed the Merchants Association okay. into that organization at that time. And what was your motivation for getting involved? Well, I wanted to just promote my business. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was it was about you know a lot of people joined the chamber. You either joined the chamber or you went with Main Street. Main Street's. Uh, ideology seemed to be more in line with mine. I, I was about that historical preservation, uh, small town. Uh, I believe that our small town uh, historical assets are part of our marketing. Yes, ma'am, uh, for sure. And, and that sort of thing. So I, 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 I was more aligned with their their values and their, their goals. Is Main Street still there? No, Main Street um, retired, the, okay. the charter. Uh, and that's how I happened to become the president of the Merchants Association, because okay. we we came out of that organization. Uh, we had no one at that point. I mean, we had a choice. I guess we could have joined the chamber, and the chamber was always very supportive, always done everything they could to help all of us. Uh, but uh, I really felt like it was an opportunity. Again, I go back to that wanting to do it yourself. <laughs> you know, yeah, be in charge of your own destiny. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so. Uh, so I talked with uh, the other folks that were there at the time, and I went to the city commission. And uh, Main Street had been receiving a, a $25,000 a year uh, stipend from the city mm. uh, for marketing and that sort of thing. And I said, you know, let us do it. And uh, they did. And that's how it came came about. Okay. Awesome. What, what do you like most about being involved with the Merchants Association? I like the creative aspect, uh, creating different events, uh, different campaigns, sure. trying to, to analyze. You know, I'm still back on that problem-solving, uh, mystery-solving thing. Yeah. Uh, what, what motivates people to come to town? What do they want to see when they get here? Yeah. Making a, a science out of that study. Yeah. That's what I like best. So how can someone, how can a, a fellow merchant in the area, how can they get involved? So, so they want to get involved. They're just not sure how. How do they get involved in the Merchants Association? Well, they come to the meetings uh, and basically just put their oar in the water, so yeah. to speak, and, and get involved. I, and when are the meetings? Uh, the general meeting is the first Thursday of each month okay. at 8.30 in the morning. Okay. And we just recently switched our meeting location over to, to the Chamber of Commerce boardroom. Okay. And uh, so they come to the meeting, get involved. Uh, they can join one of the committees. Uh, the event committee is, is one that meets every week. 
and uh, that committee kind of plans the events the hashes out the the verbiage the the, the advertising and and the plan yes ma'am and uh, so they can they can get involved and just be part of the community sure uh, we we have no membership dues uh, it's open to anyone that's in the downtown and we have people that are not merchants that are friends of merchants of the of the the uh, promotion of the day city uh, downtown that mm -hmm. that uh, are there at our meetings so it's not limited to you don't have to have a business to be there understood okay fantastic all right Margaret. so let's now shift a little bit let's start talking about the angel tea room and heavenly treasures gift shop okay. now i believe you purchased the angel tea room was it in 2013 uh, no, it was in 2007. Seven. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. What's the story behind how you acquired the tea room? Well, again, being influenced by what I read and what I see. <laughs> Always looking for, for that challenge and that adventure. Um, I, and I love telling this story to people. I get the question a lot. And, yeah. the, and I always I get a kick out of being able to tell it. Uh, it's, it all began with one evening uh, during the holiday season. I was sitting at home watching TV, and Martha Stewart and Miss Piggy were baking cookies. And, uh, I, of course, I had no idea who Martha Stewart was up until that very moment. I did know Miss Piggy, but I didn't know Martha. But uh, anyway, and Martha was talking about various different homemaking things and, and, and so forth. And I have a side of me that had now grown into the appreciation of antiques and, and that, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Let me learn more about Martha Stewart since she seems to be of a, a similar mindset. So I started watching her programs and teacups came into play and antiques and, and, and dishware and that sort of thing. So that kind of got me going in that direction. And, uh, and then I had a, a friend that I met who told me about having tea parties in the backyard with her children when they were small. And we became friends on the basis of teacups and we would go around to antique shops and shop for cups and things like that. And of course, you can't have a teacup without finding a tea room. <laughs> uh, so we we would have lunch at the uh, at the Angel Tea Room. A lot of people think that it was named uh, after me, but it wasn't. It was the Angel Tea Room long before I came on the scene. But anyway, we would go there, have lunch, have tea. I didn't know very much about tea. I, I, I didn't start off with my love for tea. It started off with my appreciation for beautiful tea cups mm. and tea pots mm. and that sort of thing. And then, of course, I liked the gentility that was associated with that lifestyle. It was quite a contrast to, to the other side of my, my world, where you dealt with uh, unpleasant or un, un, you know, things that were not really, really pleasant parts of life. So anyway, uh, the tea room uh, went on the market for sale, and uh, so I took the plunge. We we actually took the plunge together, and she worked there for a while, and then decided to to move away and be closer to her grandchildren. Uh, so then I ended up with it uh, as the sole owner, and um, it, I, in the beginning we had a staff because we both had careers. Uh, we didn't give up our careers to go work at the tea room in the beginning. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, so we had a staff, we had a manager, and. Uh, and then uh, later on, as 
circumstances developed, we became more and more involved in the day-to-day operations. Gotcha. So, so you were still doing the, the PI firm? Still running the, the PI agency. Agency, gotcha. Wow, yeah. okay. And you, this was just a thing you were doing on the side. Just, just, <laughs> just, it, I like to tell people it was my, uh, my retirement uh, investment. But it's turned out to be more like having a kid in college. You know, you keep working to support it. Yeah, yeah. But that's not always true. But it used to be in the beginning that uh, it's it's been fun. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Okay. Now, speaking of tea, do you know what the perfect pairing is with a nice cup? Lanky Lassie shortbread, of course. If you haven't tried this delicious treat, it's a must. Right next door to Angel's Tea Room and Heavenly Treasures is one of Dade City's most popular destinations. Lanky Lassie Shortbread Shop is nestled in the heart of historic downtown Dade City and offers a unique experience for all of its patrons. Lanky Lassie's uses only the finest all-natural ingredients to carry on this handed-down family tradition. This crusty-edged, soft-centered buttery cookie will crumble in your mouth, leaving you smiling and begging for more. Order online, ships nationwide, or visit their local storefront in downtown Dade City. Give the perfect gift today, llshortbread.com. All right, so now you were working, I find this intriguing. So you were doing law enforcement, you were doing private investigation, and then you just decided we're gonna do the restaurant business. It's something you had never done before. That is true. It is something I had never done. My mother had been. In, uh, my mother was in the restaurant business her entire adult life. Uh, but no, I didn't know what I was doing at yeah, all. Right, and you've been there now for fifteen plus years, right. which in and of itself is an impressive stat. But you're doing it in the restaurant industry, and from my experience, having talking to other restaurant owners, most of them fail within the first two or three years. You just, I'm just going to do it. And you've been there for 15 plus years. How, Margaret, how did you learn how to, I mean, how to get the food, the inventory, licensing, accounting? I'm sure it's a whole different world. How did you learn all that stuff? Well, running the agency, being the administrator of the detective agency, you became quite familiar with accounting practices and, uh, and, licensing because we would do investigations that would require us to look at look into licensing and so forth okay now now i'll mention that my my former partner had been a health inspector at one point in her life in a different state so she had a little insight into to that area uh so and of course we were buying a an existing operating business and uh, we had a staff that was there um, my, my partner took a couple of weeks and, uh, worked with the previous owner just to kind of get okay. familiar. Gotcha. Uh, so we, we, we didn't just throw back the doors and say, here we are. So yeah. we, we, we were a little bit, uh, okay. sensible about how we, because we, we knew we didn't know what we didn't know. Sure. Which by the way, when we get to tips, that's the biggest problem. Most people fail in businesses. You don't know what you don't know and you don't stay there long enough to start to figure it out (laughs) right but uh but anyway uh and it was just a a lot of stuff was just learning by doing uh i worked in my kitchen uh and i would see systems and procedures and things of that sort that we could do differently more efficiently uh i again i'll I'll take that investigative 
mind and apply it to this. Sure. Because I would always, if we were doing things a certain way, I would study it and I would say, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. Is this the most effective, most efficient? Yep. Uh, whatever. So it was a, a process. Um, sure. And I read, I read about teas. I knew nothing about teas. Uh, absolutely zero about teas. Yeah. When we started. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I would read and learn and. Uh, so you just jumped to the deep end. I'm just going to figure this out. Well, that's what you have to do, really. If you if you find yourself in a situation, you just have to figure out how to acquire the knowledge that you don't have when you took the leap. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think people miss that a lot of times. Yeah. But uh, I think that what really has served me very well was a combination of things. Number one, the investigative, inquiring mindset the analytical mindset that goes with investigating. You've got to take what you know and, and try to figure out what you don't know. Uh, so that, that becomes, and, and it's fun. It, it, it's a lot of fun to, to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that was a lot of what has motivated me through the years. And it's, uh, plus I read, you know, motivational materials. Uh, what, do you, what do you read? Well, I, I, I love Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Uh, I, I find that uh, as I, each year of my life I, that I go back and read that, I, I, I learn more from it that I, mm -hmm. because I didn't know maybe the year before something. Uh, and I reflect. I do a lot of reflective thinking. Uh, I do a lot of writing. I mean, I absorb things that, uh, that I read by, by making copious notes and, and really drilling down into the meaning of something sure yeah but um okay do you have a mentor someone you can sort of lean on for advice and ask these how do i questions and did you have someone like that no no i i not really okay uh i've had many people who have been in my camp as far as encouraging me uh, my grandmother was an incredibly strong woman uh I spent the first, uh, well, the first eight years of my life with her. Uh, she died when I was 13, but she was she was a, a tremendous uh, role model for strength and perseverance. Uh, she was deaf. We'd been hit by an automobile way back in the day. We, we were we we started off in rural East Tennessee, and uh, she lived alone, even though she was deaf. Uh, everybody in the in the community knew that if you came to call on her, you'd better carry a, a, a lantern or something so she could see who you were. Because <laughs> if she didn't, she was liable to shoot you. <laughs> uh, and uh, she was my first inspiration uh, for being a strong woman. Mm, love it. Uh, I, I'll tell you one quick little story, and this set me. I, I think this has been something that I've relied on throughout my adulthood. Uh, Going to school uh, at the, the farm that we lived on, uh, there was a gate at uh, the entrance to the property, and then another gate when you got into the part where the the house was, and because you didn't, and we had chickens in the embassy. You didn't, we didn't, we were not the type of people that wanted chickens on the front porch. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there was a rooster, and I was like in the first grade, and this rooster was probably about to me as a first grader, he seemed like he was ten foot tall. But he was almost as tall as I was. And this guy would be, and I'd go to school and come back alone. You didn't have parents walking you to school and so forth. 
Anyway, this rooster would be waiting for me at the first gate, and he would chase me <laughs> all the way to the second gate <laughs> with me running for my life. <laughs> and it just terrified me. Yeah. And I remember my grandmother saying, now, honey, if you'll just pick up a rock and throw it at him, he won't bother you again. Well, I, you know, as a child, I took her at her word. So I got my rock. I entered the gate one day with my rock in hand, and here, here he comes. I mean, he never missed a day. He was there faithfully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see folks waiting for the school bus to come. This rooster waited for me <laughs> every day after school. Uh, but anyway, so I, I had the rock, and I threw it. No aim, just pure panic, out of fear, through the rock, hit him in the head and killed him. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> after that, the rooster became symbolic for me, that mm. any time there was a difficult challenge, I knew that all I had to do was pick up a rock, not figuratively, of course, not literally, yeah. and, and overcome the challenge. Mm -hmm. So I used to wear a little rooster on my lapel uh, as a reminder that um, whatever challenge you face in life, mm -hmm. uh, there's the, the rooster story. Yeah. You, can, you can overcome it. Uh, but, uh, but my grandmother was really a tremendous uh, inspiration for me as far as becoming a strong personality. Uh, and, of course, my mother was always afraid that I was doing something foolish, but she was so she was always very proud after I had done it, but she was a little apprehensive when I was about to do it. Sure, sure. Uh, I remember one time I did a traffic stop in her neighborhood, and she's out there, and I'm thinking, okay, I got two things to deal with, the guy that, I'm dealing, that I've stopped and my mother, who I'm afraid is going to interfere, <laughs> to try to help me out. Uh, talk about you know, having your mother as your backup here, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I love it. Yeah. So, Margaret, what about funding? So, um, and I ask everybody this question, just kind of help to paint the full picture. So, you decided to purchase the Angel Tea Room. So... <laughs> Did, did you have a bunch of money saved up? Did you take out loans? I mean, how, how did you go about it? No, I, I had some commercial property that I had acquired, uh, and I sold gotcha. a unit uh, okay. and uh, used that money. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. I understand. Now, were you nervous? So, so, so you, were, you were going from law enforcement, private investigation, to a completely new field. I mean, were you a little bit scared that it wasn't going to work out? Or were you just confident, I'm going to do this, I'm going to figure it out, and we're going to be successful? Well, I was thinking about the rooster, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, I really didn't feel like I was going from one thing to another. I was just incorporating different components into into my life sure into the the area of things that i enjoyed yes ma'am so you, you were taking skills you already acquired you're gonna put them over here and just learn some new skills at the same time exactly i get it i get it yeah. so now what type of teas do you guys offer it, it, are there any special brands flavors types yeah at the present time we have over 137 different teas that we wow we have okay. in our inventory uh teas basically fall into to a uh, several small categories there's black tea green tea white tea uh there's the rooibos which is called the red tea but it's not technically from the tea bush itself it's an, uh, it's more like an herbal and then of course we have the herbals okay gotcha and then everything else kind of goes from there what's what's some of the most popular kinds you have, have out of the 137 are there one that sell better than the other yeah we have uh, two that are are very popular one is called polar fire it's a rooibos tea, which basically is from the red bush that grows only in South Africa. 
has probably better antioxidants than the green teas, but not as widely known. Okay. Uh, but it, it's naturally decaffeinated, not chemically processed to remove caffeine, which mm. is a plus. Mm. Uh, Polar Fire is an orange marzipan. It's our number one tea. Okay. Our second one is also a rooibos, and it's uh, called Creamsicle. And it's uh, patterned after the, the ice cream, creamsicle. It's, a, it's an orange vanilla. Yeah. Uh, now, we have some serious teas. Uh, we have the Earl Grey, English Breakfast, the Psalms, uh, Buckingham Palace, uh, those uh, serious teas that, uh, that appeal to the purist. Sure. Okay. And then we have a flavored, a lot of flavored black teas, which the, the average palate seems to, to prefer. Gotcha. Okay. And I've seen on your menu that you also serve, you have salads and sandwiches and wraps and soups. So what all is on your menu there? Yeah, all of those things. Plus we do uh, what's called traditional afternoon tea. A lot of people want to call it high tea, which technically is not the correct terminology. It's just become a normal uh, usage of the term. Uh, traditional afternoon tea is, is what they're referring to. It's the three-tier with the finger sandwiches and the petite desserts. Okay. High tea is technically a, a, a full meal. Mm. Uh, so if you're having high tea in the English standards, you're eating you know, meat and potatoes and and a pot of tea, oh, that okay. kind of thing. Sure. But traditional afternoon tea is is what the uh, what the queen might uh, have in the afternoon to entertain some friends or that sort of thing. And then those are petite desserts. Understood. Uh, the other thing too is I think sometimes people think high tea meaning uh, of a higher uh, fanciness or something like that, and that's not it at all. It, it actually goes the other way. Gotcha. High tea gets its name from the table. A high table, a dinner table. Okay, gotcha. Now, um, okay, and you also had your gift shop there as well. I've actually uh, made multiple. I've bought several of your your Coca-Cola puzzles. It's for my mom. She's a big Coke collector. It was her birthday and Mother's Day. She loved them, by the way. Um, So what types of gift items do you have in your store? Well, we have anything I can find that is tea-related. I try to, uh, to bring in. Simply because some of it has novelty uh, value, people like to to buy little things that pertain to tea to give to to their friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, a, some beautiful, beautiful cards that are prepared by Kimberly Shaw uh, that has great uh, artwork of teacups on the front, and it also includes a bag of tea inside. Mm. And it has it's it you know they're crafted for various occasions that sort of thing. Uh, so we have tea cozies that are, that are locally handmade, and I try to, to support our local artists uh, anytime I can. Sure. Uh, so we've got a number of things. I have uh, a little thing called Tea Wallet uh, that's a little cloth pouch that you can take your teas with you when you go uh, someplace that, other than the tea room. Yeah. Uh, and, or you can take sugars. A lot of people have specialty sugars that they like. And we also sell specialty sugars. Okay. Uh, we have lavender sugar and various different kinds of sugar. Okay. So if people wanted to come in to buy tea to take and make it at home, they could do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we have our, our teas uh, that, that we brew are also available for sale. Perfect. Okay. okay. Um, Margaret, how large is your staff? Do you have a lot of people there to help you out? Or? I do not. Not at the present time. Uh, you know, the staff numbers, like any other business, especially in this period of time, will uh, fluctuate. But uh, in the summer, we, we go down to a smaller staff because we have 
you know, less need for a large staff. Sure. And, and then, of course, in what we call the season, uh, it expands a bit. Okay. But, uh, but we only have, you know, three people three people running it sure i mean ideally if you're busy you need five you need somebody in the gift shop the cashier and to handle the gift shop mm -hmm. the dining room uh, and we have i like having somebody to brew tea sure because we we do what we call two feature teas a day and we actually pre-brew those in the morning and keep them in the in the hot pots for immediate service but with 138 teas people don't want to be limited to two teas sometimes yeah so if you're really busy it would be it's nice to have somebody back there brewing the teas sure and then of course you can always use two people in the kitchen yes ma'am uh, we make almost all of our stuff um it's either uh made semi-made from a commercial product that's made into our recipe or it's made completely from scratch gotcha uh, so so where do you go about so when it, it is in season where do you go about finding people to, to, to good people to hire well word of mouth sometimes um <clears throat> sometimes we'll stick a sign in the window um gotcha so just basic advertising just basic, stuff like yeah, that nothing gotcha. nothing okay. nothing else. anything online anything like that or have you tried those i or? have i have i i've you know I, I find that i get a lot of applicants sometimes but not necessarily that are a good fit for what we're looking for sure gotcha i hear that a lot yeah i was just curious how you how you go about mm -hmm. it um okay so when you first bought the tea room did did you guys have to do any sort of marketing and advertising or was it relatively already established and you just use the existing word of mouth or how, how did you go about that how did i go from where i the starting point to where we are now yes ma'am um we've not done a lot of advertising uh, we should have done more but advertising of course is expensive sure uh, we did a lot of modifications i've ex I expanded the menu uh expanded uh did a lot of physical uh, renovation to the tea room itself. Uh, when I first got there, uh, you plug in two tea kettles and the breaker would pop. Uh, <laughs> so I had to spend <laughs> a lot of money uh, putting in a, a electrical boxes and circuits that could handle running three or four tea, tea kettles mm -hmm. uh, at a time. Uh, the question again was how did um, yes. how did we grow the business? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Basically, what the business has grown basically from word of mouth, I think, and reputation, which of course word of mouth creates the reputation. Uh, I work my own, do my own waitressing now. I didn't for a long time. It was just one of those things that I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable with. Um, but I got comfortable with it when I, you know, needed to, and I, I find that I enjoy it because, again, going back to the to the investigative uh, mindset, it allows me to determine how my guests are interacting with the menu, with the food, uh, whether they're, you know, I observe. I'm, I'm constantly alert, looking for any kind of feedback that tells me whether or not they're having a good time, mm -hmm. whether they're enjoying their food, or if there's, if I see that something is being left uh, too many times, I'm gonna find out why. Yes, ma'am. Because I'm always alert to to trying to figure out what's going on. Sure. And being the server gets me right on the front line. Yep. Um, gotcha. So. 
Awesome. Okay, and so that's how that's how you grew it from beginning that's how, to you here. Know, we need to. We certainly need to do more advertising uh, because, especially at this point in time, when we have so many new people moving into the area. Uh, I mean, I'm getting calls from people that are just ma mainly saying, "I've heard a lot about your place. I want to make a reservation." Gotcha. And they're uh, word of mouth. That's how and, they're hearing and, about and, it. And it's coming. So we've we've been at it long enough that. Yes, ma'am. And so present-day advertising is something you talked about maybe you want to get a little more into, but you're not doing a whole lot right now. We're not doing – we're really not doing any right now. Gotcha. Understood. Okay. Um, and so what about what about future plans for, for, the, for the tea room and the gift shop? I mean, do, do you have anything big coming, new menu items, uh, upcoming sales? I mean, anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm completely revamping the menu. I mean, unfortunately, uh, this doesn't speak highly of me as a business person. But I've been very, you know, you get so busy doing stuff that you don't always have time to deal with the important stuff. But we're still on menu prices from probably six, seven years ago. Oh, wow. And the rest of the world is, has not made that mistake. Uh, so I am in the process of revamping our menu. We've got to make some price increases, sure. unfortunately. And we have a lot of, of items that we use in, in different ways that are not on the menu. Okay. Things that are on the afternoon tea that you couldn't order uh, as a as a lunch, and I want to make those available because it's you know the more efficient you can become with your food products, the better your business operates. You know it affects the bottom line, so you're not throwing things away that you can use in other ways. Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. Um, now, and you also, you told me you still do a couple of cases per year with your PI business. Yeah, I'll do a little <laughs> bit. I serve a lot of court documents. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cut and dried. I, I still am a certified or a special process server for the county mm -hmm. uh, to the sheriff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do that. As a matter of fact, I'll be out doing that later this afternoon after oh, really? this interview. Okay. Uh, but that's something I can fit in around my other hours. But right yeah. now, I'm mo I, most of my time is spent dealing with the tea room or merchants. Uh, and uh, Okay. Awesome. Okay. Now... Margaret, I, I ask everybody this question because I just want to hear you talk about it a little bit. <laughs> Why Dade City, right? What is it? So y you live here, you have your business here, you settled down here, you're the president of the Merchants Association here. What is it about Dade City that you just love so much? Well, I mean, of course, I didn't choose Dade City. Uh, you know, when I moved here, I was brought here by family members, but I grew up here. Uh, I, I love Dade City. I, I am a strong, strong proponent of Dade City. And I believe that Dade City now possesses uh, attributes that could make it a very thriving uh, tourist destination. Because we still have that old charm that Andy Griffith, I mean, I've heard, I used to hear people compare it to Mayberry in a derogatory way, but now we're, we're Mayberry in a, in a positive way because that lifestyle is gone for the most part. I mean, it's still in pockets throughout the, the country, but people are looking for something different from uh, the shopping malls. They want that, that genuine, authentic feeling, and Date City has that. Mm -hmm. and, and I work very hard in my capacity as a Merchants Association president to try to preserve that. I, I lobby the city, I lobby everybody that I can. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Mary Catherine from Lankid Lassie and I have talked uh, Madonna Wise into putting together a historical tour 
uh, for the downtown. I mean, we've had one that was on Church Street, which we have the, our beautiful historical homes, but no one knows, has been telling the story about the buildings. Our buildings have been there for many, many years, uh, and they have a history and a story, and people are interested in that. Mm-hmm. So I will probably uh, stay with Dade City until, I don't know, maybe once I decide to finally retire and write, I, I will consider moving away, back, maybe back to Tennessee to a mountain cabin, only because the environment is conducive to rotting yes, and that sort of thing. But yeah. other than that, it's Dade City for me. Gotcha. And yeah, that, that project with uh, Mary Catherine, Madonna, uh, Jervis Wise here, I, I actually might get involved with you guys on that. So just as a little bit of inside information there uh, with some of the help with the filming and things. Yeah, great. Um, great. So you, <laughs> you seem to have no aversion at all all to taking a risk and starting down a path that you've never been down before um and again i'm gonna i'm gonna quote madonna jervis wise from her book trailblazing women of tampa bay you're a true trailblazer who provides a modern day inspiration for girls seeking non-traditional careers Mm -hmm. margaret can you just talk for a moment about what it means to be a trailblazer Well, I'll start by saying I never intended to be a trailblazer. That was not my motivation. My motivation was to do what Margaret wanted to do and and not be limited by what society said Margaret could do or what she couldn't do. Uh, So, and I think that, you know, we're in a period of time now that there are not a lot of careers that women are not welcomed in. So we've crossed that that bridge, so to speak. So we're, we're, we're on the other side. But I think that uh, now it becomes a personal development choice for people, be it female or male. You've got to decide what you want to do, and then you've got to make up your mind that you're going to do it, that failure is, is really not an option. You know, I always say failure, uh, success is a choice. You can decide that you're going to succeed, or you can just wither it away and 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 give up you don't fail you just give up so I've always been a very persistent person I mean I still have socks that are 20 years old yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't get rid of things I keep things yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm a persistent person and um, so I'm not going to, to throw in the towel if I can see a way to succeed and I think that's what people need to learn because I see too many people quit too early mm-hmm. you, you go business goes through a cycle you open a new business everybody's talking about you the it used to be the newspaper reporter ran down took your picture wrote a story about you got you some publicity everybody read the story they came down to check you out and then you thought okay we're off and running and then it happens nothing happens they all forget because there's some new story somewhere else and then you think okay this isn't going to work you know, I sat for months waiting for the telephone to ring when I started my PI agency because not only was I the first PI, female PI person in town, but I was the first PI. I had to train these attorneys that they needed an investigator. <laughs> now, fortunately, I had high visibility from being in law, law enforcement and being involved with court cases, so they knew me in that respect but they didn't yet know that they needed their own investigator. 
But I would sit, I'd pick up the phone ever so often and make sure it was still working. Of course, that was before we got into cell phones, but, but you've got to be willing to stay with it and analyze constantly. Why isn't it working? What can I do? What do I need to do? What do I not know? Uh, you can't just put your open sign in the door and wait. Yes, ma'am. Uh, but you better not put the close sign in there too early and run away. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's such a good answer. Um, so, and you've said this repeatedly that you're the type of person who just wants to start your own thing. And there, 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 there are people out there who it's, and I was one of them. Uh, I worked for many, many years in a past life for somebody else. And it just seemed natural, go to college, get a degree, go get a job, work for somebody else. But you have just always been, I'm going to do my own. I'm going to, I'm going to create the bit. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. I, I, and so you're you're a very interesting person you you have a lot of success you're the trailblazer you're 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 a role model i mean if if you had an aspiring entrepreneur someone came to you and they said i i i'm i'm inspired by your story mm-hmm. and your experiences and your success in life what advice would you give to someone, a young aspiring entrepreneur, they're looking at you with the bright eyed and starry face and they're, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for someone like that? Well, my first thing would be identify that one thing that you really want to do. You've, you've got to do that because you can't do what somebody else wants you to do. It's got to be what you have a passion for. My passion was that investigative thing, that 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 was awakened by the Hardy Boy, Nancy Drew stuff. Uh, so you've got to have, you've got to identify that. You've got to know what that is. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to go, the next step is figure out how do I go from here where I am now to where I want to be. And then you've got to just say, you know, burn the bridges and go. Mm-hmm. Because you, if you allow yourself an easy escape when it gets rough, and it will get rough, I guarantee you, <laughs> yeah. it will get rough. That that phone won't ring for months, and you'll you'll keep wondering. You'll second guess yourself, and you'll think, well, did I do the right? Should I have stayed with my paying job, my benefits job that everybody told me? Right. You know, right. that people came to me the night that I was leaving and said, do you know what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to think about this? I've thought about it. Think about it, but make your commitment to it, mm-hmm. and then you figure out how to make it work. Right. Not if it will work. But how? Yes, ma'am. How do you make it work? Yeah. And you pay attention to what you're doing and what you're not doing, and then you put it together that way. Sure. And so you've touched on, and it's absolutely correct. There are peaks and valleys. There are good times, and it's usually right in the beginning. You get that little pop, and then things die out a little bit, and you're kind of down here wondering, well, did I make the right choice? So during those turbulent times mm-hmm. how do you stay confident and and focused that yeah i am doing the right thing i just have to get through this rough patch well i think you stay busy trying to figure out what you should be doing instead of worrying about what's what's not happening uh and you know in in the restaurant business you can't worry about so much about uh why the people are not coming per se you've got to think about what do i need to do to make the people come sure uh so you you've got to you've got to stay involved and engaged and if you have that burn again back to napoleon hill and think we're rich that burning passion you've got to know when you make the choice you've got to know that that was the choice you wanted to make 
So now the only thing left is figuring out how to how to bring it about. It's your mindset. Is keep your mind on it, figure it out. Yeah. Uh, if this, you know, Edison would have never produced the light bulb if he'd have given up on what was it, 897th try. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You've got to keep at it. You've got to keep going back and saying, okay, I've done this, I've done that. What have I done? How could I adjust what I do? I do the same thing with the Merchants Association with events. What did we do that worked? What did we do that didn't work? What can we change that make change the outcome the next time we do it? Yes, ma'am. And you keep doing that. Yes, ma'am. And eventually you hit on the right combination. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep trying. And, make and make adjustments. Works. Try things. Do what, what worked. Do that again. What didn't work, scrap it and just keep, keep evolving. And gather your intelligence. Interact. Pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. And then you can make your adjustments. So, so Margaret, with everything you have going on, I mean, do you have any sort of relief valves? I mean, how do you, how do you kind of step back and kind of release the stress and just not let everything just topple down on top of you? Well, I mean, I do deal with a lot of stress. I mean, there are times that uh, I probably don't deal with it as well as I'd like to, but I find that the, the writing comes in there. Yeah. 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 So what about... Uh, and you touched on, on Think and Grow Rich, but are there any other good books you're reading, podcasts you're listening to, and uh, movies you'll watch, anything like that? that, that, um, that? I, I mean, I have a probably a page of 100 different titles of books that I've read. Uh, anything recent that you recommend to, somebody else to? Think. I'm one of those, uh, I'll, I'll read a little in this one, a little in that one. I'm yeah. sure I may have five books going at the same time. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that Maybe might... movies or podcasts? Do, do you listen to other podcasts at all? Have you, well, have you ventured I, I, down that road? I do some. Uh, but usually I'm, I'm listening to the lectures of the old guys. Sure. Yeah. You know, I find that That's fine. Uh, a lot of the wisdom hasn't changed we may have changed the way we deliver the message, but the message hasn't changed. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so um, I'm reading a, a very interesting book right now. It's uh, called The Laws of Prosperity, I think, or the, and it's by Catherine Ponder, if I recall correctly. Uh, I had never heard of Catherine Ponder before, and I just accidentally ran across it at our local used bookstore. And, uh, of course, things like that always catch my eye. And I bought the book, and I've started reading it. Uh, it has a lot of the same theories and applications that Napoleon Hill has okay. with a biblical uh, influence. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I'm a strong believer in, in our subconscious mind and how we can accomplish things. Uh, in the power of positive thinking, I, I like Norman Vincent Peale and his thought. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read Dale Carnegie. Uh, I, when I watch a movie, I usually take away something from the movie, even though it's not necessarily a business or educational movie. Sure. But there's some aspect of a lesson, a life lesson there or something. Yes, ma'am. Um, so there will be something that, uh, that I will dote on afterwards and i usually end up bending somebody's ear about it if they've watched the same movie you know yeah. did you notice you know um i i'm very fond of the downton abbey series and uh the just the society and the way they set the table uh that influences me in the tea room because yeah. you you know there's that order that that uh things fall into yes, and uh Surprisingly enough, people don't realize that uh, why that the uh, when you have a picture that's a little bit off center, or the frame needs adjusting, they don't know why that bothers them. 
but they know that it does. Sure. The same way, same thing applies to a table setting. Because if you put the table setting a little out of kilter, uh, it gives you an, an uneasy, an unaware, but an uneasy subconscious feeling. So you're not going to be as relaxed. Something's off. Something's off. You may not pinpoint it. You may yeah. not even make a conscious awareness of it, but it's there. Yes, ma'am. So I, 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 I pick up things like that, and, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, I can do that. Yeah. I can incorporate that. Yeah. But, um, okay. I love it. So good. Um, all right. Well, I mean, Margaret, we're going to kind of start winding this thing down a little bit. I mean, are there any topics that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about or a topic that we did cover that you want to talk a little more about? Well, the only thing that I could add to what we've talked about, and I've jumped all over the map here, is that I think that people can succeed at anything that they make up their mind to succeed at. And I would like to see more people have the courage and, and the fortitude to do that. Because we have too much failure that goes on out there, and, and it's unnecessary. You know, people will squander their life savings. Uh, we talk about this at, uh, at some of the merchant meetings or at uh, meetings, co-op meetings that I have with the chamber. People will invest their life savings in a business, and they'll run through it, but they won't stay with it long enough to make it pay off. Mm-hmm. Or they haven't done their research going into it so that the money uh, can outlive the learning curve. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen in so many businesses in Dade City, so many. And it doesn't have to be that way. You have to be prepared to, to be in it for the long haul. And I think uh, if, if, if we were talking about advice. If I had advice to give to people, that's what I would say. Be prepared to run for the long haul. Don't get scared. I, you know, I got scared when I had the PI thing. I almost took a job as airport security person just to fill in. I wasn't abandoning, but I thought, well, I'm, I've still got bills to pay. It didn't come to that. I went for an interview, and, and by the time I got back home, my phone was ringing with cases. Nice. So that's the way life works. Yes, it takes you right up to that, that point, that cliff, and you think you're going to fall off, but you don't. Yeah. Most people turn and run. You can't do that. Yes, ma'am. That's what I would say. Love it. Okay. All right. So we're going to end this with what I call my three quick question round. I just have three final quick questions for you. Question number one. How would you define the word entrepreneur? Well, I mean, I know what the textbook definition is. Uh, my definition is a little bit more convoluted. Uh, I would just simply say anybody that's brave enough to jump out there and start a business of some sort. Yes, ma'am. And I know entrepreneurs usually go from one business to another. They get their thrill out of just starting. Uh, to me, I want to stay with it a little bit longer than start it and turn it over. But uh, that's how I would define it. Perfect. So question number two, how would you define the word success? Being happy with what you've accomplished. And, and success is, is a past tense type thing. You never know. You've had success until it's over with. And then you can look back. Yeah. So question, final question. Question number three, how would you define the word happiness? Doing what you love doing. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I love it. Okay, perfect. So, Margaret, how can people find you? We've talked about your website, but plug it again. Any social media stuff, different events, sales you have going on, phone number, just plug all of your stuff. 
Well, uh, <clears throat> right now we're in the process of creating a new website, so that's not really functional at the moment. We do have a Facebook page, The Angel Tea Room. Uh, I can never remember our phone number. The uh, previous owner set it up. It's, uh, it spells love, okay. 518-LOVE, whatever okay. that turns into. <laughs> always have to look at our business card. Oh, what's our phone number? <laughs> but uh, and, and they can always drop by the tea room. You know, we come by, I'll treat you to a cup of tea and let you sample some of the teas that we what have. What are the hours you're open? Uh, we're open Wednesday through Saturday. From 11 to 3.30. Make appointments, dump. reservations? Reservations if you have uh, more than four people in your party. And definitely if you want that afternoon tea, you want to have a reservation because we'll give you a special table setting. And it does take a bit of time to prepare all the little petite sandwiches and desserts. Mm -hmm. And we customize it. Uh, so if you have dietary issues, whatever, we work around those. And uh, I like to encourage people to just, uh, you know, come in, try it, and and, and have the experience. It, it's one of those things that you don't, it's not just about having a meal. It's about having an experience. Sure. It's an interact, you know, I, I tell people sometimes it's a sip, it's a bite, it's conversation. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so bring somebody that you, you love, somebody you'd like to get to know, and and, and have a cup of tea. Fantastic. And a, and a lunch. Awesome. Well, Margaret, thanks a lot for being here. This has been fantastic. Um, and everyone else, thanks a lot for tuning in. If you've enjoyed the show, just please share it around. The best way for new listeners to find us is for our current listeners to talk about us. So give us a like, drop us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe. Follow us over on Facebook at TAOB Podcast. Please don't forget to support our sponsors, Lanky Lassie Shortbread. Order online, ships nationwide, llshortbread.com, and Reliable Resellers. If you're looking to downsize, call the pros at Reliable Resellers, 813-421-5676, or visit them online at reliablereseller's.net. I'm your host, Eric Baker, and this has been another episode of The Art of Business. Bye for now. <laughs>